0: Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Welcome, part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You can find out more by visiting the website, uh, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine, Be in the Know, and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest Bob Levy. He is the chairman emeritus of the Cato Institute. We'll also visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. He'll be with us as well. It is February the 1st, and on this day in 1692, in a Salem village in the Massachusetts Bay Colony, Sarah Good, Sarah Osborne, and... Tituba, an enslaved woman from Barbados, were charged with the illegal practice of witchcraft. Later that day, Tituba, possibly under coercion, (laughs) you think, confessed to the crime, encouraging the authorities to seek out more Salem witches. Trouble in the small Puritan community began the month before when nine-year-old Elizabeth Parris and 11-year-old Abigail Williams, the daughter and niece respectively of the Reverend Samuel Parris, began experiencing fits and other mysterious maladies. A doctor concluded the children were suffering from the effects of witchcraft, and the young girls corroborated the doctor's diagnosis. With encouragement from a number of adults in the community, the girls, who were soon joined by other afflicted Salem residents, accused a widening circle of local residents of witchcraft, mostly middle-aged women but also several men and even one four-year-old child. During the next few months, the afflicted area residents incriminated more than 150 women and men from Salem Village and the surrounding areas of the satanic practices. In June 1692, the special court, Oyer and, to here, and Terminer to decide, convened in Salem under Chief Justice William Stoughton to uh, judge the accused. The first to be tried was Bridget Bishop of Salem, who was found guilty and executed by hanging on June the 10th. Thirteen more women and four men from all stations of life followed her to the gallows, and one man, Giles Corey, was executed by crushing. Uh, Most of the tried were condemned on the basis of witnesses' behavior during the actual proceedings, characterized by fits and hallucinations that were argued to be caused by the defendants on trial. In October, 1692, Governor William Phipps of Massachusetts ordered the courts dissolved and replaced with Superior Court of Judicature, uh, Juc- which forbade the type of a sensational testimony allowed in earlier trials. Executions ceased, and the Superior Court eventually released all those awaiting trial and pardoned uh, those sentenced to death. The Salem witch trials, which resulted in the executions of nineteen innocent women and men, had effectively ended. Witchcraft, 1692. Well, we've certainly progressed since then. Well, maybe not so fast. Yeah, international research corroboration that uh, reviewed several dozen rigorous studies of phys- physical interventions against influenza and COVID 19 through the last year failed to find even a modest effect on infection or illness rates from mass of all qualities. <clears throat> Published in a peer reviewed Cochrane. Cochrane uh, Database of Systematic Reviews. In other words, this is a review of reviews uh, run by the British evidence-based medicine charity Cochrane. Uh, The study uh, raised new doubts about ongoing mask mandates and public health accommodations and recommendations worldwide. The CDC is still recommending masks in areas with high transmission levels, fewer than 4% of U.S. counties, as well as indoor masking to protect uh, high-risk contacts in medium counties. Masks are still required in educational institutions and democratic strongholds such as New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, Washington, and California, according to the Daily Mail. Can you imagine that? It's all voodoo health care. Masks don't do any good. So, this has been proven time and again. It's like building uh, a chain link fence around your property in order to keep out mosquitoes. It just doesn't work. And it, it creates harmful. Uh, results also in your own health if you wear a mask. CBS News reports that the FBI conducted its own search of the Penn-Biden Center in mid-November after Biden's attorneys found the data stored illegally there. Their sources claim that Biden and his team cooperated and that the search warrant didn't get issued, but the late revelation once again raises the questions of whether what else the White House hasn't disclosed. Why did it take a leak to make this part of the timeline public? Did the FBI or the DOJ notify Congress at all? And if not, why not? And who made the call? In all, federal authorities have recovered between 25 and 30 documents marked classified from the office space at Mr. Biden's Wilmington home. The material includes classified items and other records from Mr. Biden's vice presidential and Senate days. Some documents found at the Penn Center, Biden Center, were labeled top secret, This won't help Biden fight off Congress. Even before this leak, Senate Democrats have begun to lose patience with Biden, and we're saying Democrats, not Republicans, in this scandal. The Justice Department uh, uh, told committee leaders, Senators Mark Warner, a Democrat from Virginia, and our own Marco Rubio, that we're working on getting them information that will satisfy the committee's responsibilities or responsibles responsibilities, but the senators do not appear to be satisfied with this. I appreciate the communication, but the subject of the communication doesn't give me clarity on how and when we're going to be able to fulfill our obligation, Warner told Punchbowl News. Federal uh, Democrat Senator Ron Wyden described Justice Department's position as stonewalling, telling Punchbowl that it is a complete non-starter. You can bet these revelations will force more Senate Democrats to demand real transparency, and the rest of us are wonder how much more the White House is still holding on. Uh, definitely collaboration between the Department of Justice and the uh, White House and the Biden administration. It's, it's a shame. Well, then uh, Senator Joe Biden, uh, he was, of course, a Democrat senator from Delaware, voted against raising the debt ceiling in 2006, voicing concerns about the rapid increase in the debt under the president, uh, George W. Bush, on March 16, 2006, Senate Republicans voted to raise the debt ceiling with Senate Democrats largely voting the statutory limit of the country's debt. Then Senator Biden voted in lockstep with Senate Democrats against the bill, which would raise the debt ceiling from $8.184 trillion to $8.965 trillion. During a Senate-for-speech explaining his vote against the debt ceiling increase, Biden lashed out at then-President Bush, claiming Bush did not do enough to balance the budget or pay down the debt, more proof that he's all politics. He believes in nothing except uh, politics. Really believes in nothing. Well, illegal aliens standing outside of the Watson Hotel in New York's Hell's Kitchen District on Sunday night refused to leave for a new shelter, causing the police to mobilize. More than 50 migrants were outside of the hotel, along with activists who are handing out food and water. City officials said the single men were supposed to be brought to a new shelter in the Brooklyn Cruise Semino- uh, Terminal that would provide the same services that they were receiving at the hotel. The uh, city bus arrived, only but a small number of migrants hopped on the bus. Most decided to stay outside the hotel on West 57th Street. Uh, Activists claimed that migrants were being relocated from the hotel. One activist was quoted telling the New York Post that they were prepared to stay overnight. They feel that it's not livable, said uh, activist Valerie, who did not give her last name. The hotel won't let them in, so they're planning to sleep here, she said. More than 42,000 asylum seekers have arrived in New York City since last spring, and we continue to surpass our moral obligations as we provide asylum seekers with shelter, food, health care, and education, and a host of other services, that according to City Hall spokesperson. Uh, uh, Levy said that the Watson was being transitioned to uh, house migrant families. Uh, The facilities at Brooklyn Cruise Terminal will provide the same services as every other humanitarian relief center in the city, and the scheduled relocations to Brooklyn Cruise Terminal this weekend took place as planned. We remain in serious need of support from both our state and federal governments. Uh, A dozen police were uh, originally stationed at the Watson Hotel, with police remaining on scene until around midnight as migrants still surrounding the entrance of the hotel. The Brooklyn uh, Cruise Terminal is a new mega-shelter that can house as many as 1,000 single-adult men, that, according to Mayor Adams, uh, said last week, President Biden will ignore the Big Apple's spiraling two billion dollar migrant crisis during the Tuesday afternoon visit to tout the 292 million dollar in federal spending on the new rail tunnel. Biden is scheduled to tour the Manhattan side of the Hudson River project in Chelsea, just a mile or so away from Hell's Kitchen in the Watson Hotel, but his itinerary, which also includes attending a fundraising reception of the Democrat National Committee in Manhattan, doesn't list a stop at the three-star hotel where about 50 migrants were huddled under blankets on the sidewalk uh, Tuesday morning. Can you imagine this? These are refugees coming across our border uninvited and uh, getting on buses and going to New York City and then complaining about a three-star hotel and having to move to a shelter, I think they should just put them all on a bus and take them back to the the border, release them, let them go, and say, okay, uh, we gave you an opportunity. Now you have to take care of yourselves, in my opinion. They're illegal immigrants. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is calling for a congressional investigation into the AT&T DirecTV decision to drop... Newsmax. It seems it's on one of American news that the Newsmax who are being targeted, DeSantis says, and I think it, it does warrant congressional investigation. Last week, at and Direct TV shocked congressional Republicans and conservatives across the nation when it abruptly removed Newsmax, the fourth highest rated cable news channel watched by 25 million Americans from its channel lineup. And We watch uh, uh, Newsmax a lot. ATT's move was the second time in a year it has deplatformed conservative channels, canceling the popular One in America News, or OAN, last April. I really think it's something that Congress should, needs to look at, and I think they should ensure that there's not intellectual discrimination going on when it comes to what people are able to view, said DeSantis. Uh, the governor added that there should be no ideological litmus test that you have big companies giving out the decision to make or break a news network or any type of network. DirecTV cited cost-cutting reasons in removing Newsmax and OAN. At the same time, it continues to carry 22 liberal-leaning news channels. Most of these channels have tiny audiences that, like CNN and continues to pay all of them hefty licensing fees. DeSantis said this was, he was not buying the excuses. He said uh, they'll give different rationales for why they want to do it, but they really, in reality, they just have so much other content that is very lightly viewed, and yet they keep it on. Newsmax has said that DirecTV refused to negotiate with it on a fair price for fees, telling the network it would never pay any licensing fees to it. Newsmax uh, CEO Christopher Ruddy. Noting that other cable uh, news channels get paid fees, said the AT&T DirecTV's action was political discrimination and a blatant act of censorship. Since DirecTV's cancellation, leading Republicans have expressed upset at the political targeting of the highly rated channel. Just uh, unbelievable. So I think he'll, they'll end up uh, paying a price for this because uh, a lot of people, uh, w- I wouldn't surprise me to see uh, AT&T DirecTV lose subscribers as, as a consequence. Well, this is just, I will end with this on this segment of the show. A group of California police officers shot and killed a double amputee on Thursday as he tried to run away from them on his stumps after jumping out of his wheelchair. I'm not kidding. Three cops from Huntington Park Police Department were uh, filmed firing at least eight shots at Anthony Lowe Jr., a 36-year-old father of two, had just stabbed someone unprovoked, according to the police department, and was trying to run away from the two officers. What kind of restraint were these officers demonstrating when they did that? That's just a sick story. I can't even, it's unbelievable. I, I'm reading it to you because it's beyond, you can't make this stuff up. It, it's unbelievable. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine, be in the know, and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy, chairman of the, chairman emeritus of the Cato Institute, that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's
0: 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Hartman Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. By the way, hearing that commercial for the Golden Kyr Senior Center in Golden Gate, it's hosting a health and wellness fair this Friday, February the 3rd, from 10 a.m. until 1 p.m. at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Naples. It's held in conjunction with the MyCare Medical. The free event provides older adults and caregivers access to local resources. Uh, To RSVP, you can call 399-1099, 399-1099. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Andrew Joppa. Right now, we have with us Bob Levy. He is the Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us here on the show.
3: Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob.
1: Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute.
3: We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and devoted to defending private property, free markets, securing individual rights, and limited government, C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web.
1: Thank you, Bob. Uh, Last week, or the last time we were together, we started talking about uh, business being... Uh, well uh, induced or compelled to design you know uh, or provide services to people that for example they may not support their views well now the businesses are open to public have to serve everyone not just bakers and and web designers is that the case
3: well you you have to ask yourself whether gay bakers for example should be forced to create cakes for the homophobes from the westboro baptist church or or whether black flor- florists should be forced to design flower arrangements for a Klan funeral or or Jewish web designers, whether they have to design a website for a Nazi uh, wedding. Or or even for that matter, should the ACLU be forced to represent a plaintiff that advocates for prayer in school? So, you know, those are profound questions. My answer is no to every one of them. Uh, And this past uh, Monday, just uh, two days ago, The Supreme Court heard oral argument on the uh, web design case. I, I think the important point is is a distinction between law and morality. So it's perfectly consistent to argue from a legal perspective that discrimination should be permitted in any society that honors freedom of association. So you know, a member of one religious or racial or ethnic group should not be required against their will to to associate with members of other groups. Uh, On the other hand, from from an ethical perspective, I think religious and racial and ethnic discrimination uh, is often reprehensible. and I I condemn people who practice that kind of discrimination, but I insist that
1: they have a legal right uh, to do so. Well, in some cases, too, I think there's targeting going on. In other words, uh, it's... (laughs) It's not like you don't have other choices about where do you get a, a cake baked or what Exactly,
3: know. exactly right.
1: So, so if we don't enforce public accommodation laws, how do we curb racial and sexual discrimination?
3: Well, I think the main point is that if the government, if state actions foster the dec- discrimination, then the Constitution bars that. But private discrimination that isn't facilitated by government, we can condemn that by non-governmental means we can refuse to patronize bigots right. we can uh, engage in social ostracism uh, adverse publicity boycotts so it may be morally wrong to discriminate but in a totally free society a private party should have a legal right uh, to do so we we can condemn immoral conduct like lying and infidelity and even bigotry without empowering government to step in and and take uh, remedial action.
1: Here, here. So, you mentioned that markets and competition generally discourage discrimination. How so?
3: Well, markets and competition offer built-in incentives against discrimination because generally businesses want more customers and they want the most capable employees. So, you know, consider the, the NBA. It's it's dominated by African American players. It's not because the NBA owners are especially enamored of integration, but it's because those players are talented and they attract large and profitable uh, audiences. So competitive markets tend to reward tolerance and penalize bigots, and that's true whether we're talking about basketball or bakeries or or website designers. I mean, just think about the competitive market uh, in the uh, Masterpiece Cake Shop case, uh, which you alluded to. Sixty-seven bakeries in Denver specifically advertised cakes for same-sex weddings. The closest one was only a tenth of a mile from where (laughs) where Masterpiece Cake Shop was. And the betrothed gay couple, they were ultimately able to acquire a free, custom-made, artistic cake for their wedding from another shop. And as a matter of fact, many businesses now attract customers, including straight customers, by advertising that they are gay friendly, so competitive markets, I think, uh, often uh, provide incentives and important incentives uh, for for uh, non discrimination.
1: You know, Bob, this reminds me of uh, the wise Michael Jordan played in the NBA, and he, of course, he had a, a Nike sneakers that uh, he promoted, and he's a, he's a liberal, and uh, he was. They so said, "Why? You know, why don't you?" a hold-up-your-politics warning. He says, well, you know, conservatives buy tennis shoes, too. (laughs)
3: Yeah, that's that's exactly right.
1: So uh, why won't the web designer case be resolved based on property rights and freedom of association?
3: Well, I guess that's because my view of what the law ought to be is not what the law is. So, in fact, Lori Smith, who owns this web design company, uh, she didn't even assert property rights or freedom of association in her lawsuit. She made two different constitutional arguments, one based on free speech and one based on free exercise of religion. And as you probably know, she, she had to succeed on only one of those arguments, either one, and she would win the case. But the Supreme Court, uh, when they stepped in, they apparently believed that her religion claim is the weaker of the two. So the court, uh, in its oral argument this past Monday, will be, will, did focus in exclusively on the free speech argument.
1: So why did the Supreme Court take a pass on Lori Smith's free exercise of religion claim?
3: Well, we, more than 30 years ago, there was a case in Oregon where two Native Americans, uh, they, they uh, wanted unemployment benefits after, <coughs> even though they were fired for using the drug peyote. They didn't get the benefits, so they sued, and they claimed they used peyote in a religious ceremony and therefore we're protected by the First Amendment. But the Supreme Court, in, in this case in 1990, held that government could restrict the exercise of religion as long as the regulation is applicable to everybody and didn't specifically target religious practices. So, you know, Oregon could ban peyote in a religious ceremony as long as Oregon banned peyote everywhere else. Yeah. And in the current case, uh, with the web designer, uh, Colorado's public accommodation law doesn't target uh, religion. It's it's applicable to all businesses serving the public regardless of their owner's religious views. And accordingly, I think Ms. Smith, the owner, she'd likely have an uphill battle on the uh, free exercise of religion claim.
1: So are there significant differences between the Web Designer case and the Oregon peyote case?
3: Yeah, I think they're they're worth mentioning, but they won't play a role in the court's. Uh, deliberations. In the in the uh, web design case, Lori Smith would be forced to engage in a practice that's contrary to her religious beliefs. In the Oregon case, uh, Native Americans uh, were prevented from engaging in a practice, namely smoking peyote, that was consistent with and even required by uh, their religious beliefs. And I think the second uh, difference is the state of accommodations laws Often carve out exceptions for entities like churches whose primary purpose is re- is religion. So why not an exception uh, based on an owner's religious beliefs, even if they're not the primary purpose of the business? Um, and also, before same-sex marriage was legalized nationwide, uh, quite a few states applied their public accommodations laws with really blatant hypocrisy. So until. This is really extraordinary. Until 2014, it was illegal to hold a same-sex wedding in Colorado. And that's why the gay couple in the in the cake shop, the Baker case, they went to Massachusetts to get married. And then later they returned to Colorado for their reception at which point The cake shop owner wouldn't bake them a cake, and Colorado threatened to close down his bakery. So it was okay for Colorado to discriminate by not giving a same-sex couple a marriage license, forcing couples to leave the state. But it was not okay for the baker to discriminate in selling a cake, even though a substitute cake was available in dozens of bakeries nearby, and the cake itself couldn't be eaten And the Colorado same-sex wedding, because you couldn't have a Colorado same-sex wedding. (laughs) So you talk about hypocrisy. There is a really blatant case.
1: Bob, I just appreciate your commentary so much. We've Bob Levy, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. Cato.org is the website. Bob, thank you so much for joining us here on the show.
3: Always a pleasure, Bob. Good to be with you.
1: Thank you, Bob. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs>
0: Back to the Bob Hartman Show, and now here's your host, Bob Hartman.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by InternationalHealthPlans.com. If you're planning on traveling abroad, most health plans, maybe your health plan, don't doesn't cover internet, international travel. Uh, you can get a National Health Comm and travel with, with a confidence by visiting internationalhealthplans.com. We have with us Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. So, uh, usually we start our discussions on Wednesday morning with some good news. Do you have any good news for us?
2: By the way, I'd like you to include that I'm an announced presidential candidate when you introduce me. because <laughs> I just decided I am going to be that. It's... It, Apparently, that's all it takes, so I think that looks nice on my resume, Bob, so if you want to throw that in, I wouldn't mind. Well,
1: you know you're running against David Berry, who's running on the platform to uh, the death sentence for the guy that invented the the slow-flush toilet.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's it's an interesting America we're in, Bob, you know, obviously. Let me just clear my throat. I'm sorry. All right. Sorry about that. Yeah, there is good news today, I I think, and I'm not really uh, someone who gives a lot of weight to polls. But the most recent poll among registered Republican voters, uh, with seven uh, potential uh, nominees for the uh, Republican nomination in 2024, uh, Donald Trump appears 35 points ahead of Ron DeSantis uh, in, a, in a field of seven. Even if you eliminate the other five candidates and throw all of their votes to DeSantis, it still shows uh, Donald Trump running uh, 18 points ahead of DeSantis. Uh, so again, I, as I've always told you on on the air, uh, Ron DeSantis is a, a is a fabulous governor, and I think someday he'll make a uh, a great president. But I think now is not his moment. Uh, I think, uh, he, regardless of how the rhinos and the left are trying to provoke a confrontation between DeSantis and Trump, uh, I think it will be to the detriment of both if that happens uh plus uh, just uh, to bring in a uh, a personal note for we in Florida I think the loss of Ron DeSantis as a uh, a figure in Florida's politics uh, and by the way Florida is not just a a state that sits in isolation I think what Ron DeSantis done, does here becomes the bellwether uh for much of what happens in the rest of America so uh, I think Ron DeSantis can exert his influence here uh until it comes up 2028 Uh, If Trump wins in 2024, I I hope that's the case. I think 2028 will be Ron's year, and I think that's the way it should go. Uh, But I think there's this artificial uh, intent to provoke a battle between DeSantis and Trump that, again, as I just said, Bob, will be detrimental Detrimental to both of them, particularly Ron DeSantis' future, because I think it will will leave a bad taste in the mouth of of many strong uh, Trump uh, supporters, Bob.
1: Yeah, so so I will say this, though, uh, Trump himself... And you know, I I love Donald Trump, and I certainly support him for the presidency in twenty twenty four. So that said, I mean, he made some detrimental uh, comments, disparaging comments about uh, uh, about DeSantis, and you know, I just wish he wouldn't do that. Everybody has a right to run for president, even even Andrew Joppa. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, well, I, I think especially
1: Andrew Jobs, Say Especially, but the, the point being is this, and of course uh, there, there's others that are going to throw their name in the hat, so just let the process work, uh, Donald Trump. You don't own the nomination. It's not yours. It's uh, it's uh, the American people's, and uh, I, I just wish you would stop that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah, look, I, I tend to agree with you, Bob, uh, because you're right. Uh, on the other hand, in 2018, Donald Trump appeared at 90% of Ron DeSantis' rallies when he was running for, for governor. Uh, Donald Trump is a strong advocate for loyalty, uh, and I think that, that's what he sees violated. and I think he's having an emotional response to what he sees as a violation of the, uh, the trust and loyalty that should have existed between him and Ron DeSantis. I think your position is correct, Bob, but uh, on the other hand, this is a, uh, a person who uh, really feels offended when there's a violation of trust and loyalty, Bob.
1: Uh, good point, and I hadn't considered that. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, uh, you know, gratitude is the least enduring emotion in both politics and business. So. <laughs> But
2: I think these are two different men, and I I don't want to see them turn into uh, just street-level politicians. I I think that a battle between them will diminish them. Uh, I think uh, both are remarkable men, perhaps the two best men that America's created over the last several decades, certainly at least that time frame. Uh, So I don't want to see that happen. I I don't want to see either diminished by this. So uh, when I advocate for a, a Trump candidacy in 2024 and and DeSantis in 2028, it in no way disparages Ron DeSantis. Uh, I think he would make, as I said before, a great president. But I think the timing is is everything, as they say. And I I think this uh, 2024 uh, should be uh, Donald Trump's uh, nomination again. For the third time, he will win the presidency, Bob.
1: I agree with that, Andrew. Uh, Although, I must say, I don't know if you saw either the rallies in South Carolina or New Hampshire but uh, he was on fire. Donald Trump just did a great job, and of course, he focused on policy in, in a big way. And I think I thought he did a superb job. So, he's- uh,
2: absolutely. And by the way, MoveOn.org, the uh, the uh, one of the strong wings of the left, uh, uh, tried to do everything they could to damage that rally. So uh, that that's how they see their 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 challenge. Their challenge is not to bring to America a significant candidate. I mean, if if it's Biden or Harris or uh, or uh, Michelle Obama, I mean, to throw these type of people at us as if they're uh, worthy of being the president of this country is a, is a shame. So they don't even go there. Uh, what they do is try to just dis- uh, disrupt things like uh, like rallies of Donald Trump. Um uh,
1: anyone need to take a little break. Can you stick around?
2: I'll certainly be here. All
1: right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs>
0: Bob show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. But times are changing and trends in funeral services are no exception. The traditional somber formal affair marking one's passing is tra- tra- I should say transitioning into a celebratory event where family and friends can gather more casually in a relaxed setting that incorporates the comforts of home. On Saturday, Sunday, February the 19th, Hodges Life Celebration Center, located at 26051 South Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs, will host a community open house and reception from 2 to 4 p.m. It's free. There'll be a ribbon-cutting t- champagne toast at 3.15 p.m. And the facility reflects the latest innovation in Funeral by Hodges brand. And uh, it's really going to be interesting. I hope you all uh, plan on attending. Special guest is going to be Mrs. Thelma Hodges the widow of the founder, Earl Hodges, who passed in 2013. The two arrived in Naples in 55, and when considered a fishing village, she is one of the three founding nurses of NCH. Uh, He was passing through on his way to Tennessee and uh, ended up from the Second World War and ended up getting married. They were married for 55 years. She is a, a remarkable woman. Uh, unbelievable. Thelma Hodges. So I hope you come again. It's uh, February the 19th, Sunday, uh, at the Hodges Life Celebration Center. For reservations, you can call 366-5333. 366-5333. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa again. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning,
2: Bob. Well, you just it was really very interesting, you know, how circumstance unfolds almost beyond our control. I, it brings to mind the story of my grandfather was bootlegging uh, beer up in Utica, New York. <clears throat> After Prohibition ended, he was driving back to New Orleans. His car broke down in Yonkers, and he stayed there. Hence, I was eventually born. So that, That's how life unfolds. I mean, it's a serendipitous process sometimes. Bob. It
1: is indeed. And one affects, one event affects all the others as going forward. It's just a remarkable process.
2: Yeah, when you look at it, it, uh, it almost makes you shudder a little bit to realize how, how fragile everything is. All our relationships, all our accomplishments, all could have been undone by just a different turn of fate, Bob.
1: So true, Andy. So do you have more good news for us?
2: Well, I, this is sort of a facetious good news, but it's good news nevertheless. Uh, it's good to know that COVID will be officially over on May 11th. Now, why May 11th or <laughs> and, and not today is, is totally beyond me. Uh, so we'll have to see how that unfolds. If it unfolds, I, I still think that COVID is their, uh, their weapon they keep in their back pocket in case they need something to disrupt the election process in 2024. So, But I think just in general, I think it's good news that Biden, has announced that uh, May 11th will be the official ending date of the of the COVID pandemic, Bob.
1: Yeah, I, I, again, I, I'm with you, though. I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. And, of course, it's a long way away. <laughs> and I can just see all, oh, oops, we've got another open crime event here. We need to mask up and uh, Locked down, so.
2: Yeah, I, I think he put May 11th because it gives him a lot of wiggle room between now and then in terms of you know putting his finger in the air to see how that sits with his uh, his supporters, the few that there are. Uh, so I think it's uh, it's a dubious date, but uh, again, I think anything that suggests we're coming to the end of this horrid process is is good news.
1: Buddy. Absolutely. Well, it is. So Andy, uh, any thoughts on the increasing danger that's developing in Ukraine?
2: Uh, Yeah, I mean, uh, I'll I'll tell you how how much I react to this, is that I just, for the first time in my life, bought some potassium iodide, which is the the counteraction to to radioactive uh, radiation poisoning. Ah. Now, I'm I'm not anticipating the use of that, but, but even to have that thought pass through my mind... That potassium iodide is something I should keep in my emergency supplies uh, is an indication that we're getting closer to an event that is than ever before. Uh, when when Biden makes a comment, for example, that uh, a 1.5 degree increase in temperatures Celsius uh, would be a more significant event than in the advent of a nuclear war. Biden indicated that that one one thing, a 1.5 Celsius increase in temperature, would be more damaging. Now, once someone has so little understanding of the implication of nuclear war, that he would make that kind of absurd uh, comparison, I I think is an indication that this is a a circumstance that that may have some some viability in in the future. If we're looking at what's going on in, in, in Ukraine right now, uh, we're we're seeing the uh, as we talked about last week, the introduction of uh, it probably it, it doesn't seem to be an absolute confirmation of uh, some uh, Abrams tanks. The in, the introduction of Leopard two from from Germany. Uh, this this escalation is a is a worrisome process. I mean I can't even uh, anticipate what would happen if these tanks were knocked out and there was a subsequent escalation. Right now they're rejecting uh, Zelensky's request for or forget request. He demands. He doesn't make requests. Demands for. Effort. 16s uh, So if, if they move into that next level of offensive uh, retaliation capability, uh, then I, I don't know what the possibilities are. We're also hearing more and more uh, conversations about uh, Ukraine should retake Crimea. Uh, I will tell you, as, uh, as my prediction of that, Russia will not allow that to happen. Uh-huh. I don't know uh, how they'll prevent it. I just know they will not allow Uh, Russia, they will not allow themselves to lose uh, that seaport uh, in Crimea. It just will not happen. Uh, So I can't even imagine what will be Russia's uh, response. Uh, But again, it it sets up a strong potential uh, for this to happen. And I I know visiting the the past is perhaps uh, a redundancy at this point, but I think we have to remember that when the Soviet Union uh, broke up, it broke up without a shot being fired. Uh, Yeltsin and Gorbachev uh, both wanted to join the nation of states in the European uh, economic community. They were given um, uh, commitment by Secretary of State Baker at that point that there'd be no further westward, uh, eastward expansion of, of NATO. All of that was violated. Putin eventually sets up his red line that that process of uh, making uh, Ukraine a member of NATO would be his red line. Now, all of that does not justify the, uh, the horrors that have been inflicted on Ukraine as a result of this process. But I think we have to understand that this is not something without provocation. It is an event that should have been anticipated by, by the actions of the West. Yep. I think they have tried to make Russia uh, into the same enemy as the, as the old Soviet Union. And I, I can't prove this, but I just believe it's true. I think that in some way Putin is in some way a surrogate for Trump in their minds, that there is a a unified force that is Trump-Putin that I think has has driven this antagonism uh, towards Putin. Not that some of it isn't justified, but I think it's been intensified by what the the West has tried to create as the unbreakable relationship between Putin uh, and Donald Trump. Yeah. On the uh, other hand, of that same type of debate, I honestly believe, Bob, that if Donald Trump had been in the presidency, this war in Ukraine would have been averted. Uh, I think it would have been uh, forestalled by, uh, by appropriate diplomatic actions. Uh, I think it's being artificially contrived by the West. And in my estimation, Bob, uh, this is a war, and I think it doesn't matter whose finger is on the trigger. It is who provides the trigger. And right now, that trigger is being provided uh, by the West, primarily by the United States. Yep. There is no doubt in my mind uh, that we are at, at war, a coward's war, if I might, against Russia, using Ukraine uh, as our tools in the field. Uh, it, the whole process uh, bothers me the uh, the loose talk about uh, Ukraine and comparing uh, Russia to Nazi Germany, all of this conversation, yeah. including the potentials of of nuclear weapons if it's not worrying somebody there's something wrong with their understanding bob
1: absolutely and in fact, have you' ever thought about the whole issue about if uh, in fact Putin is driven from leadership in Russia, who would fill that vacuum? And would it be another oligarch? And would he be perhaps more sane, or more have take a dir- different direction than Putin? I have concerns about that.
2: Well, I mean, all indications are that if Putin was uh, dislodged, voluntarily or involuntarily, uh, that the the person I can't remember his name at this point, unfortunately, but he's a stronger nationalist. Uh, than is than is Vladimir Putin. So I think that it would not in any way de-escalate the process. It might it might actually intensify the process. Keep in mind, Bob, that 70 percent of Russia's citizens actively support the actions of Putin in Ukraine. So this is a very popular war in uh, in Russia. Now, whether they've been propagandized into believing that or or it's been a, uh, a brainwashing process. I don't think so. There is a strong love for Mother Russia. There's a strong understanding of the Russian people uh, in terms of the history of, of Russia going back hundreds of years, and they understand exactly what's happened in Ukraine uh, in the last several decades. So um, I don't think that replacing Putin will change the Russian people or change the leadership that would replace Putin, Bob.
1: So interesting. Andy, we need to take another break. Can you stick around? I'll certainly be here. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. You can get tickets now by visiting the website gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Also brought to you by the Foundation for Government Accountability. They get the politics, they know the policy, and they prepare elected officials to win. In state legislatures, you can find out more by visiting the website, vfga.org. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, again, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Always good to be here, Bob.
1: Thank you, Andy. So uh, last week we were talking about the World Economic Forum. I want to see just uh, if you had any thoughts, any more thoughts about that.
2: Yeah, we started that conversation last week, and I think it's important enough to continue it a little bit today. Before I get to that is one of the thoughts I wanted to interject because of the, uh, the timing. Today is the first day of, Bla- of Black History Month, February yes. 1st, the month of February being that month. Uh, and I just want to see as this unfolds uh, w- whether Ben Carson will be mentioned, Tom Sowell, Stephen Carter, Shelby Steele, Walter Williams, Larry Elder, Tim Scott. I want to see if these profoundly, highly qualified uh, African-American men are even alluded to uh, as they go forward into Black History Month. My prediction is you will hear nothing about these these fine men. Tom Sowell, one of the most published authors, Ben Carson, one of the finest heart specialists, uh, and, and so forth. I mean, we, we know the rest. Yeah. So I just, my goodness, there are so many wonderful uh, uh, accomplished blacks in America, and yet we'll hear almost nothing about them in Black History Month, Bob.
1: Great comments. And uh, by the way, the, the publisher for the AP course for Black History is now making revisions and correcting uh, the course that... Uh, but uh, DeSantis turned down. He says it's not going to be, we're not going to have this course in the state of Florida because it's propaganda. It's not history, so uh, that's good news too. In fact, it's leading to a good outcome.
2: Well, I mean, Ron, Ron is the only person nationwide that leads kind of these kind of processes, risking uh, his political fortunes. Uh, but I think this is this is a necessary process. We'll talk about that whole issue more more next week. Uh, getting back to the WEF World Economic Forum. Um, a little-known uh, circumstance is a gentleman, a philosopher from Israel, Yuval Hariri. I don't know if you if you know the name, Bob. Most people don't. Uh, but it's been said, if you want to understand Klaus Schwab, you have to understand Yuval Hariri. That is uh, the, the, the tightness of their relationship and the influence of Hariri on Schwab, uh, uh, World Economic Forum constantly talks about transhumanism, beyond the current human process in some way. Uh, Let's uh, just—I'll give you a few quotes from uh, Yuval Harari as it pertains to that general issue. Uh, He says, "The most important question in 21st-century economics may may well be, what should we do with all the superfluous people? What should we do with all the superfluous people?" That's one of his quotes. It's an extended quote, but that's the essence of the importance of it. Uh, Harari says, we are probably one of the last generations of homo sapiens. He says uh, dataism is a a new ethical system that says, yes, humans were special and important uh, because they were the most sophisticated data process system in the universe, but this is no longer the case. Most of what Hariri indicates about humanity, just one more, as far as we can tell from a purely scientific viewpoint, human life has absolutely no meaning. Hence, any meaning that people inscribe to their lives is just a delusion. Now, these are the types of comments that Hariri uh, uh, puts into the ear of, of Klaus Schwab. I think as the World Economic Forum goes forward, uh, much of their agenda takes place. I think the majority of their agenda takes place uh, beneath public awareness. And I think it is this kind of commentary going into Schwab from Hariri uh, that really concerns me. The influence of the WF as it pertains to uh, world leaders uh, is growing. Uh, That's undoubtedly uh, true. And this is the type of of, uh, direction that the World Economic Forum is going in under Hariri's influence, Bob.
1: You know, the growth of in, uh, uh, the uh, intellectual, uh, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Artificial intelligence. It is growing by leaps and bounds. I'm seeing advertisements all over the place for artificial intelligence for writing. Uh, but, you know, this. And it is a real threat. It's an ethical dilemma. It's a legal, but also an ethical dilemma for how we're going to proceed in the future. Some, I'm going to call uh, Klaus Schwab. Uh, he is a definitely godless person in my view, and he's uh, definitely trying to s- somehow, some way, extend. Uh, Life beyond its uh, current limits, which is why I think about 120 years, uh, the lifespan of the average human being. I think that the vision here is for somehow, some way to make life interminable uh, through artificial intelligence.
2: Well, I think what we're looking at is more the creation of, uh, of an Aldous Huxley Brave New World where people are genetically programmed into their niches in life. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's it's wonderful to project every human being with, with, uh, with genius brains and anything else that anybody might conjure up. Uh, on the other hand, I think it's more likely to produce automatons, uh, robotic versions of human beings who are delimited by their genetic engineering. I think that's the direction we're looking at to right. make... Uh, the world population, uh, adjust to the new world that will be opening up, as it's seen by the World Economic Forum. Uh, If we look at the process of uh, artificial intelligence, it was uh, first put forth by uh, Ray Kurzweil back around the turn of the 21st century, talking about a concept of singularity. Singularity is the moment in time when computers will equal, or artificial intelligence will equal the capacity and function of the human brain. At that point, when singularity is reached, You can anticipate the uh, artificial intelligence accelerating uh, to a point of thousands of times beyond the capacity of the human brain, if that happens, if that happens. Uh, And how would the this artificial intelligence regard us? It is projected by many that uh, artificial intelligence with that intellectual capability will see us the way we see roaches, Bob.
1: You, you, you draw uh, an interesting uh, dichotomy. One is, of course, the boundless uh, growth of uh, intelligence. But you're you're suggesting, and I think you're absolutely right, that it's actually the limiting of human intelligence and the processing of, uh, that humans become somehow comma, robotic and uh, uh, know their place in society. Uh, as Klaus Schwab says, you know, you won't own anything, you won't. <laughs> you'll, be and happy. you'll be happy about it, Bob. Yeah, and you'll be happy about it. It's it's all it's all so sick and twisted. It's unbelievable.
2: Well, I wish there was a greater appreciation. Now, I'm, I'm dealing with the World Economic Forum in the class in international marketing I'm teaching. Uh, I have found out that the vast majority of my students think of the World Economic Forum as a very uh, benign, if, 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 if not benevolent, organization. They have absolutely no awareness of the uh, beneath the, the surface level actions of, of the World Economic Forum.
1: Andy, I just really appreciate your bringing these issues to to our attention. They're so important, and you're way before your time, quite frankly, because we will be talking about this in the public sphere months from now, and uh, you're really bringing it to light. So I just genuinely appreciate your commentary in the show, Andy. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thanks for those comments,
1: Bob. You bet, Andy. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got some great guests for tomorrow, including uh, Seton Motley, the uh, Founder and president of Less Government, Dr. George Markovich, my orthopedic surgeon, will be on the air with us, as well as uh, Bill Barnett, former mayor of Naples. Always appreciate his commentary on what's happening here locally. Uh, I always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. bobharden at hotmail.com. Also, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. It's one of the ways we get the words out to support our advertisers. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>